Welcome to Healthcare and Hire, a podcast for healthcare professionals and aspiring healthcare executives looking for information, association, and inspiration from higher-level leaders across the healthcare industry. I'm Iqbal Acha, career consultant, healthcare recruiter, and registered pharmacist. Every week, I sit down to interview healthcare executives, clinical leaders, medical entrepreneurs, and industry experts to learn how they got to where they are today, what they see as the future of healthcare, and what they're doing to make healthcare more accessible, affordable, and effective. Let's find out more about today's guest. Dr. Carolyn Ward is the Director of Clinical Strategy at Particle Health. She is responsible for developing, communicating, and driving the clinical product roadmap for the organization while working to ensure that the voice of providers and patients are represented during every step of the company's research and development process. Prior to joining Particle Health, Dr. Ward served as an internal medicine physician and on clinical product at Forward. She began her medical career as an internal medicine resident at Rutgers Robert Wood Johnson Medical School, ultimately becoming chief resident at the same institution. Dr. Ward holds a medical degree from the Rutgers Robert Wood Johnson Medical School and a bachelor's degree in neurobiology from the University of Pennsylvania. Hello, Dr. Ward, and welcome to the Healthcare and Hire podcast. Good morning. How are you today? I'm doing pretty well. Thank you for having me. How are you doing? I'm fantastic. Are you on the West Coast right now? Uh, I am. I am. I live in Southern California, so it's Very beautiful good. and sunny here. <laughs> well, don't rub it in my face now. I mean, I've got gray skies and, you know, the the weather changes here minute by minute. So who knows what I will be experiencing in 15, 30 minutes from now. Okay, well, I'll send some sunshine your way. <laughs> I love it. I will take that gladly. Dr. Ward, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. I know many of my listeners today are probably meeting or hearing about you and Particle Health for the first time. Why don't we take this opportunity and have you formally introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about who you are, what your role is, and how do you help take healthcare to a higher level? Absolutely. So uh, my name is Carolyn Ward. I currently work at Particle Health as the Director of Clinical Strategy. Um, and I'm an internal medicine doctor by training. So I did all of my medical and residency training out in New Jersey, which is where I'm originally from. Um, so I actually have only out, been out in California for about three years now. Um, and at Particle, we are an API company that essentially is able to gather patient records of clinical data and um, put everything into a longitudinal record and then send that over to providers who are actively caring for and treating these patients. Um, so my role at the company is really understanding all of this clinical data that we get, what pieces are the most useful and when. We don't want to just bombard our clinicians with every single piece of available clinical data on a patient. As a species, humans are just generating a lot more data um, than previous. And so it's quite unmanageable, especially if you have 
15 minutes to see a patient. There's just no way. Uh, it doesn't really matter at that case what format the data is coming in. Um, it's just too much for a single human to ingest. And so what we're really working on now, what I'm kind of here to help the team with um, is how do we figure out and isolate what are the most important data elements so that we can just surface those at the moment that that clinician actually needs it. So my role ends up interfacing a lot with the product team, the sales team, our customer success team, uh, kind of all over the company, to be honest, but that's what keeps my job interesting. Awesome. And I know that there's a lot of my both clients as well as listeners uh, that really would love to learn more because I, I know that data has become such a, a pivotal a pivotal and crucial foundation of how we deliver care and how we, you know, are, are trying to be more proactive in terms of therapy management, uh, even from a pharmacist perspective, right? Like we use so mm -hmm. much data and it's impossible to be able to try to manage that in a, in a 15 minute time frame. I mean, I mean, half of that is probably administrative work, which I'm sure most of my <laughs> clinician listeners are like, yep, I hear you a hundred percent. But let me follow up a little bit more about particle health, because I think it's very fascinating to hear some of the, the, leaps and bounds uh, that Particle Health has already made uh, and some of its uh, origins and its foundation. So I know that it began in 2018 uh, and basically Particle Health offers a platform that integrates with multiple major uh, EMRs across the country and you've been able to help unify over 320 million individual patient records, which is amazing. Um, and your mission is very simple. I mean, there's actually two parts to your mission. So your, your formal mission is to enable simple and secure access to healthcare data uh, for digital innovation. Innovators, but your unofficial mission, which I absolutely love. And God, if I could put this on a banner, I would destroy the fax machine. Yeah, I that's hate right. that thing so much. Long, long story short, you guys have done some amazing work. You have some incredible products, including, including Particle Focus, Focus by Specialty, MedRec, and ADT Feeds. Uh, and you have quite an interesting list of clients and partners. So I've seen, you know, testimonials coming from One Medical, X-Cures, Curator. Uh, and, you know, the, most of your clients fall into like really one of three categories, if I'm not mistaken, primary care, specialty care, and platforms and EHR. So all of these individual parties uh, that are playing a role within the healthcare industry have this opportunity to either gain access to data or help design uh, and help share data in a seamless and confidential manner that allows clinicians, providers, and healthcare, even administrators, be able to do their job better. More importantly, uh, you know, the work that you've done since 2018 hasn't gone unnoticed. You've actually won several awards. Uh, I've noticed that you guys were recently awarded the Rising Star Winner Award from UCSF's Digital Health Awards. You were also named one of CB Insights Digital Health's 150. Uh, and you were also uh, named by Built-In as a best place to work. So clinicians, leaders, listeners, if you're listening to this podcast and you're thinking, I wonder what else is out there. You may want to talk to Carolyn after this episode. Uh, I think we've got some great stuff. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, to tell you a little bit more, everything you said is right on the money. Essentially, um, when this company was first founded by our founder, Troy Bannister, uh, the, the hope around it was really about allowing individuals to access their own health records. We've taken a bit, bit of a pivot because of some regulatory um policies that we thought were going to be coming down the pipe pretty quickly that have been a little bit delayed. There are a ton of rules out there, like 
um, Tefka anti-information blocking, essentially saying that people should have access to their own healthcare records, but the actual logistics of how that would happen have not really been determined, right? It's the same, in a way, it's kind of like a same parallel track of how physicians get access to their patient's data. Mm. So under the treatment purpose of use, meaning if I'm a doctor and I'm seeing a patient, I have the right to access that person's medical records in order to provide some diagnosis or management or treatment for them. Um, when we actually go to try to do that, it usually involves me filling out some piece of paper, faxing it over to the specialist, yeah. um, finding no reply, having my front desk call, have them be like, our fax machine is down, or we've already faxed it to you. And we don't know, it got lost in the ether. And so then you have to fax it again. And then when they finally do get back to you, you really wanted like their last EKG, let's say, right? And they send you like a 200 page PDF that's been faxed over uh, that gets scanned into your computer, super grainy, gets uploaded into your EHR. And now I have to click through 200 pages of a PDF to get to that one EKG. And that's a really poor experience, obviously, from many aspects, all aspects, really. But like, to really focus in on the data part of it, it's a poor experience, because I in my clinical workflow determined that knowing what that last that last EKG looked like was important to me for some reason. When I get the information back, there's actually a lot of information from that cardiologist in the 200 pages, right? Mm-hmm. I'm just going to look for that one thing that I wanted. Right. But there's probably a lot of other information there that if I knew it was in there and had the time to like read it line by line, that that would be really useful to me. But there's two problems. Number one, it's in a PDF. So when it comes in, nothing is usable in that sense, right? Like it's in your EMR, but it's not really like, it's not like somebody else is going to go down like a week later and be like, I wonder if this person's had a BMP. Let me look through every PDF that's been uploaded to see if there's a recent BMP. Like that's not going to happen. Right. So as a result, that data that lives there, which is probably useful is kind of trapped in that PDF format. And it's not placed into the respective parts of the EHR that you would expect those data elements to be, right? So imagine if you could put the vital signs from that PDF package into the vital signs section, the labs into the lab section, the diagnoses into the diagnoses section, like the places where physicians are used to seeing that information instead of asking them to like go down these rabbit holes to try to look for things. The other thing is that that data has that format has really low what I call data capture, which essentially is that we're not really capturing that information in a structured way to be usable, right? So part of it is, yes, can you put it in the right places that it quote, quote, should be? Mm -hmm. Um, But the other part is maybe there's a bunch of diagnoses in there that I didn't know that the cardiologist diagnosed this patient Mm -hmm. with, right? And I could figure that out if I had enough time to read 200 pages for every single patient that I see, but that's not humanly possible. So what can we do to help people to pull out those data elements, have them be structured and put them in the correct places, whether that is for clinicians, honestly, usually in the EHR, Mm -hmm. but for care coordinators or clinical quality folks. Um, It might be some like third-party analytic tool that they're using or some other software platform, right? And so we want to give that flexibility to our customers to know what are the data elements that they find valuable and how can we help you put those data elements in the correct workflows, 
in the tools that you're using today. But Carolyn, I mean, you're you're speaking to my heart when you speak about these <laughs> issues, right? Because not just as a patient, not just as a as a healthcare provider, but also as a caregiver for two, three aging adults, so that I have to manage them, right? Like I see the disparity amongst different hospitals and health systems where data is just like either absent or not in the right place. And you and I mean that's my frustration, right? So the, I just imagine the clinicians there on the multiple care teams that are like, what am I looking at? And it sounds so simple when you say it, like, you know, this is what we want. Like the goal is this, right? Why is it so hard? What is the the big challenge that is preventing, you know, smart people from just saying, oh, got it. Here's the solution. And now ta-da, we're fixed. Why is it so frustrating? And why is this problem continued to endure decade after decade? I really think it has a lot to do with this problem of how data is created and shared within our healthcare system. So if you think about it, and we'll use MedRec as an example, you're a pharmacist, and this is like a really common use case because it is a place where like, there's just so much fragmented data. So if you think about how data lives in our healthcare ecosystem, it lives in these silos, many of them all over the place, right? So like the EHRs don't talk to each other, the pharmacies and the hospitals and the doctor's offices don't talk to each other. Doctors and specialists don't have any pipes that talk to each other. Mm-hmm. So we use these really manual ways all the way down to like a patient bringing in a printed piece of paper to you. Right. Ugh. And so exactly. So it's not great. Um, a lot can get lost in translation or fall through the cracks. So when you think about, for example, like a med rack, right? Like if you wanted to really know what, one of uh, the people you're caring for, your parents or whoever it is that you're caring for or yourself, what are the list of medications I should actually be taking? Mm -hmm. That's actually a really hard question to answer in our healthcare system today, because maybe your primary care, who's supposed to be the quarterback of all this, should have the single source of truth of what you should be on. But maybe your cardiology medications, your primary care is like, I'm going to leave your cardiologist to manage that, right? And I'm going to... um, leave, you know, your diabetes medications to your endocrinologist. I don't have a great way to talk with your cardiology and your endocrinologist. So I'm a little beholden to either the patient telling me what updates have occurred or the specialist being proactive to send me updates Hmm. or me reaching out prior to somebody's visit for every single person's visit to see if there is even new data out there. Like I don't even have a way to understand if there is net new data much less how to go retrieve that data. And so as a result, some medications live here, some medication changes live here. Uh, Maybe you went to some urgent care and got some antibiotics that actually affects this other (laughs) medication. Nobody actually even knows. Now, part of the safety net is the pharmacy, right? Because they're the ones dispensing it. But because of a lot of price changes today, a lot of people go to multiple different pharmacies. Yes. Maybe they use PillPack from Amazon. Maybe they use CVS for this and they use Costco for this. Like they're kind of, everyone's all over the place, right? So as a result, it's really hard to determine like out of all the providers that your patient has seen in the entire United States healthcare system, mm-hmm. what are the list of medications that all providers have determined this patient should be on? And once you have that base foundational data, then you can start to go in and say, ooh, okay, this person was prescribed lisinopril at two different doses. Uh Or, ooh, okay, I prescribed lisinopril and the cardiologist prescribed ramipril. And start to actually do a real reconciliation. And so a lot of 
what we are really looking into now at Particle is we have this great data advantage because we have access to so much clinical data, right? Mm -hmm. How do we now make that clinical data really useful? And I think MedRec is a great example of when you build on a really solid, comprehensive foundation of data, you're able to do a lot of things like much, much, many, many, maybe multiple magnitudes better than if you had only a small piece of the pie. Mm -hmm. And that's why I use MedRec as an example, because MedRec is actually something that you can't truly do without fully understanding right. everything that a patient has been prescribed. Yeah. And not to mention, you know, the subjective uh, forgetfulness of patients that way they say, oh, yeah, I'm taking right. this and they haven't taken it. And I mean, you're speaking to the farm, the heart of the pharmacist <laughs> right here right now. So I'm like super happy with that. Carolyn, talk to me a little bit about some of the success stories that you've heard from some of your clients and some of the, the advances that Particle Health has you know, proudly claimed a stake in. Like, I think it's helpful for the listeners to hear either some of the things that you guys want to share, like, hey, in the last couple of months, you know, we've seen a breakthrough and this is because of the, the products that we use. And here's a, an example of that. Um, or maybe something that you've set as a new site or as a new goal where Particle Health really wants to be the leader in that space. Absolutely. So I think that in the first half of our history, and this was honestly before I joined the company, they had really reached that first part of their goal, which is just the technical capability of aggregating comprehensive clinical data. Mm -hmm. um, and so when I came on board, the goal really was to see, can we accelerate our understanding of how this data is used in the healthcare ecosystem by multiple different types of end users and understand how we can unlock that true value? The way that we've really gone about this, and we do have some really exciting offerings coming down the pipe, um, is one of the first steps we're really looking into is the value-based care setting, where I think there's already a really good innate understanding that knowing more about your patient is the way you're going to win, right? The very interesting thing about value-based care, and if you think about like ACOs or accountable care organizations, is you want really, for lack of a better term, really tight control over your patients in the sense that you want to know everything about them. Like, ideally, if you could like understand everything that they ate, like down to like where they work or where they exercise and like how much they're up and about, like all the way down to those little details, that's when you're really going to get to like where I believe value-based care is truly going, which is that preventative aspect, right? Mm. Right now, the value-based care model essentially ties value, like what kind of patient outcomes are you truly achieving with low cost? Like, so yes. what's the most efficient way you can achieve that <laughs> with payment or reimbursements, mm. right? And the issue is that like, there are a lot of ways that people have tried to affect patient outcomes. Some of them have been successful. The ones that are the most successful are really high lift. So they are very manual, they're high touch points. Yeah. And that's not really scalable across like Yep. the world's population, or let's just say the United States population. Sure. And so, um, especially with this upcoming severe shortage of primary care physicians in the United States, the question is, how can we use technology? And I think there's multiple companies kind of in this space right now trying to figure out how can we use technology to make this process more scalable? And I think where Particle's real niche is in this particular world is how do we use data, right? to help scale what a primary care physician or a specialty care physician or a care coordinator or a total care team, or even at a wide organizational level, how do we use data to give them more insight into their patients so that they can 
scale that value-based care model in a profitable way. So an example I'll give is when you are fully um, capitated, so when you're taking on all the risk in a BBC model, right? You should probably have a really good crisp understanding of how much risk is it that you are actually taking on at an individual level. And that's actually a really hard concept to categorize and understand when you only get a small slice of the pie of that patient's data, right? Mm -hmm. So no matter how good your analytics are, no matter how good your algorithms are, if you only have one slice of the pie, that's the data that you're working with, right? Um, And a really like easy example for the clinicians that are listening in is if you think about like all kinds of risk scores that we use, like the Mm -hmm. Timmy score, for example, if you don't have the answers for let's say two or three of those critical data points, you'll probably end up scoring that person really low when their real score is really high, right? So that's kind of like the same idea about risk stratification at a population health level and at an individual level. Like, yes, we're not just talking about risk of heart attack or death in 14 days. We're talking about like this patient as a whole, their entire health, their entire picture, like what is likely to happen to them in their lifetime? What kind of comorbidities are they likely to develop if we don't intervene? What is likely to get worse? What is likely to get better? What are their habits that are putting them on this one track or another, right? In order to understand individuals at that granular level, you either need to spend a lot of hours talking to them mm-hmm. or just to do the data gathering part or if we could give you that data in a way that is usable, you can now repurpose those hours to management, wow. to talking about <laughs> educate patient education, right? Yeah. You can divert your business's resources accordingly to, let's say, the riskiest 10% of your population instead mm-hmm. of a little bit here, a little bit there, trying to keep the balls in the air, but like inevitably you don't really know which ball is the heaviest or the smallest or the biggest or the hardest to keep up, right? And so that's like one of the ways that we are working with our customers to really drive efficiency while also improving patient outcomes. I mean, the the draw to this is obvious to me, right? Like if I was in a CEO suite and I was listening to this, I mean, like I want to speak about this <laughs> because I'm struggling to be able to, to find an average way to, to help my company or my organization like really achieve the goals and yet still be profitable. Because I, I mean, as far as I know, like over 51% uh, of all seniors today belong to a Medicare Advantage program and that number is rising left and right. Um, I'm sure many of my listeners today are aware that Humana has literally chosen to walk away from uh, offering commercial insurance and is getting 100% into the managed care uh, Medicare mm-hmm. Advantage game, right? So these are things that are very valuable for ACOs and other organizations to understand. Uh, and I'm glad to know that you guys are taking like that proactive step to you know help educate organizations. Sometimes there's always that hesitancy, like, oh, well, we've already had our own consulting firm and, you know, they've already told us what we need to do. So we're going to follow that route, right? But I feel that, you know, what you bring to the table, in addition to how, how to access the data and having so much data uh, available makes the 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 sell or the pitch a lot easier to pa- uh, palatable. And I think that that's really phenomenal. You know, uh, Carolyn, when you speak with other directors of clinical strategy, both internally and externally, right? Like there's a lot of conversation today that's talking about regulation and in some cases politics, but also like how the healthcare industry is like shifting in so many different ways, right? We always, you know, on this show, we talk a lot about the healthcare staffing crisis and we talk about, you know, mergers and acquisitions and we talk about a variety of different things, right? But mm-hmm. in your world, in your circle, there's probably a couple of things that you and others at your level have spoken about, like, 
as sort of like this pending, you know, I don't want to say doom and gloom, right? But there's always like something that's around the corner where people are like, <laughs> whoa, this is big. And if we're not ahead of the curve, we're going to be like doing double time to to fix the, the challenges. Like what is the next thing that you think is going to happen in the space of healthcare data? Um, and maybe some of the, the headwinds that are already starting to appear now where, where particle health is like, look, we're, we know what this means and we're ready to like start tackling it now. And so to everybody else that's listening, get ready. Yeah. I mean, I think that there's there's a ton here. Um, one, I'll, I'll talk about two and kind of merge them together. But one of the things that we are really seeing in the industry is this um, shift towards value. And so part of that, yes, uh, absolutely, is the value-based care movement where, you know, the vast majority of organizations are still fee-for-service, but we are seeing this pickup of moving into value-based care. Now, value-based care is a pretty difficult model to actually become profitable in, especially right away. Mm -hmm. So I think an interesting thought here is why are a lot of people shifting to VBC when not a ton of companies have been able to become profitable in it? And I think it's because people do inherently believe that, one, we need to drive more value in the healthcare industry. Um, we have had a lot of rising costs without really any increase in value. And so I think people inherently believe that we need to make some kind of shift. I also think people believe that there is a lot of potential and opportunity in the VBC space. Once we have the key to solve the problem of like understanding and improving patient outcomes, which is a huge, huge black <laughs> box, right? Yeah. Um, and what I will tie this in with is this other kind of headwind of data. And right now, I think we're kind of seeing it more of like AI and like chat GPT for doctors. And like, mm -hmm. I mean, I think that it's very unlikely that AI is going to like replace all doctors in the next five years or something yeah. like that. I do think it is kind of telling that like the one of the ways I think these two kind of things are going to come together is really in personalized medicine, yeah. which oh. is essentially that what people want to see, whether that's organ at the organizational level with this shift to VBC or at the individual patient level, which is really like this shift to direct to consumer that we're seeing quite a bit of, right? Mm -hmm. There's a ton of new digital health companies that are selling direct to consumer, direct to patient, because patients have the same shift where they're saying, I will pay you if you can show me value first. Ah. And I think that when you think about that as like the industry trend that is going on, value before money, mm -hmm. um, before you see money, that is really something that is going to require a very sophisticated ability to deal with data to okay. solve. So I believe that data is essentially the key to unlock that black box I was talking about before. And what this means is that people want to see something really personalized to them. I don't, it's no longer really satisfactory to go in front of patients and say, hey, I'm going to put you on this medication because there's a study done. Nobody in the study actually looks like you, but it's the only study that was done. <laughs> and like, you know, 84% of people achieve good outcomes and we're not going to talk about the other 16%. Okay. Yeah. Like what patients actually care about is like, well, do I fall in the 84% or the 16%? Right. right? 
That's what people actually want to know. Yeah. And we don't, we're, we can't really give them that information today. I think that that is where medicine is going. We will eventually get into a world using genetics and epigenetics to be able to tell people something really specific about what they should be doing, what they should be on, what is going to happen to them if they don't do anything to really be able to give them that informed consent. Um, and I think that the only way we can get there is through data. So my like end vision is like, if we could take all the data that a patient generates, and today we're talking about healthcare data, we're talking about EHR clinical data, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but there's also a lot of other data sources that affect somebody's health, like their food, for example, right? Okay. And so if we could take all of those pieces of data and we could create essentially a digital twin and then be able to manipulate that model to say, mm -hmm. This is what you look, this is what your data looks like. This is what Carolyn's data looks like. If we don't do anything to this model and we let it run out in a simulation for 10 years, mm -hmm. what are the diseases that Carolyn is going to get? And then you can have those conversations with a patient and say, hey, if you do nothing today, yeah. this is what's most likely going to happen to you. Is that acceptable to you or not? Right. And then you can have those conversations be like, this is what we need to change and see if I tweak this, this, and this in this model, then we can see this outcome instead. And so I think that's really exciting because it gets us to a world where we can give really personalized insights. Mm -hmm. It gets organizations to a world where they can have a full line of sight into the patients, not just the risks that they're taking on, but how to actually intervene in those risks in an effective way. And so that is the world that we are trying to build towards. Carolyn, where do you see us on the on the graph right now where we are when we talk about personalized medicine, right? Like there's always been these talks about like pharmacogenomics and, you know, um, a lot of, you know, companies, especially with small independent physician practices have like kind of like started to, to experiment with this. But as far as I can tell, like we are like way at the infancy stage, like how much farther have we come up the slope um, or are we still at the beginning? I think that there's actually a lot more appetite for it. Um, mm. If you think about companies like 23andMe, which yeah. have basically commercialized like ancestry and DNA data, um, I think that that is, I, I do believe in the actual like practice of medicine. It is very much in its infancy, but I think that this is a curve that can take off pretty exponentially. Nice. Um, it's kind of the same with data in the sense that like, I'm talking about all these really cool things that particle can enable, but the vast majority of healthcare organizations are like, I'm using facts. Like this is <laughs> the best I can do at this point. Right. And so we are really trying to push the industry and push the market. And there are key companies that are always trying to do that at the forefront of any industry to say, Hey, we can do better and we can do better right now. That's awesome. Uh, and I'm very excited for the future, right? Because I feel that, I mean, if we can get patients, providers, and payers all on the same page with like the, the ability to use the data and I love your example of being able to do a computerized model and sharing with patients the understanding of where they will be in 5, 10, 15, 20 years, because a visualization is so more powerful than having a physician or a clinician to simply repeat the messaging. You really need to change your diet. You really need to change your exercise. Like, yeah, right. I got it, doc. But when you see something that says in 50 years from now, we predict that you have an 85% chance of developing, you know, or having a heart attack. Like that, that speaks volumes. And I'm very glad like to hear that. 
Carolyn, talk to me a little bit. I mean, you know, we, we talked a little bit about MedRec. You know, there's like mm-hmm. several products that you also offer uh, where many of your clients and partners are, are working with you on that. Uh, is there one that's kind of caught your eye where you're spending more time because you love it? Like, do you see like the value uh, that is a little bit more, maybe even your clients think, I mean, my, my guess is it's particle focus, uh, but I guess I could be wrong, right? But I mean, explain to us like another product that you see that's being u- heavily utilized uh, within the within your company and and and, and talk to us a little bit about what value it's brought to others. Yeah. So um, one of the really exciting things about particle focus is the fact that when we get data from the networks, it comes in a data format called CCDA, which is like not really usable. It is like, it's kind of like a PDF in a sense, like ah. it's usable for reading, but it's not useful really for analytics or like searching. Okay. And so we parse that all into fire, which is like supposed to be the new data format to help with standardizing interoperability and healthcare data exchange across mm-hmm. the country. A lot of the companies we work with are uh, really early into fire. They haven't really quite learned how to like master it yet. And so, mm-hmm. um, and it is a little tricky to work with. It does require a bit of expertise. So we actually will further transform that data into our flat um, data model, which is much more tabular, really easy to manipulate. And this is really what we consider like our analytic ready data format. And so if you want to, so most of our customers today use our data in kind of two ways. And this is really would be my recommendation as well. You want the ability to ingest comprehensive data straight into your EHR so that your clinicians can use it at point of care. That's really helpful because you kind of want everything in there and you want it to be searchable and usable. But at the same time, it's still a lot of information. And at the end of the day, a lot of our clients are coming to us and saying like, hey, I have these very particular workflows that I know are only going to utilize these 10 to 12 data elements. So we have a bunch of new focus products coming down the pipe as well that are really focused on clinical workflows. And um, we also will help to build custom ones. So an example I'll give is um, you know, GLP-1 agonists are like super big right now, right? Yes. And so every company is trying to sell them, even though there's like none left in any pharmacy <laughs> in the United States. So, um, but that being said, it's a great example of a workflow where there's a lot of people who want it, but there are like known contraindications, right? Like if you don't meet these criteria, you're like, right. you do not qualify, qualify. for this. And That's a really great, simple way to use data where if you just knew the answers to those patients, you Mm -hmm. could screen out a bunch of people before they had to go and speak to a clinician. Instead of booking visits, both parties get on just for the doctor to be like, oh, you actually don't qualify, right? Like, so if you knew ahead of time that those people didn't qualify, you could easily like put them on a different path to talk about some other alternatives, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so what we can do is we can essentially isolate those particular data elements, right? Do you have a history of pancreatitis? What is your BMI? Does your BMI qualify, right? Do you have diabetes? Do you have a family history of like coronary artery disease or hypertension or these secondary um, obesity related uh, diseases and comorbidities? Mm -hmm. Do you have, you know, a history of medullary thyroid cancer? Like these different things that we know are related to this workflow, we can actually go pull the comprehensive data as our data advantage foundation for that patient, and then go and look and be like, okay, do I have any of these specific pieces of information? Has this person ever had pancreatitis? What is their most recent BMI? What are the other medications that they're on that may be contraindications, or maybe they're already being prescribed a GLP-1? What if I could see like who their endocrinologist is, whether or not they've had any surgeries like gastric bypass? Like if I could just 
lift that from the data yeah. and give it to you in one workflow and you could create and you know our customers will have their own interfaces their own uis and what they do is they just pull that data in and they put it into like some kind of workflow uh so in this case you could easily build out a workflow where a patient is filling out some questionnaire you pull in this additional data you tie them together and say yes this person qualifies or may qualify or no contraindications move them along to making a doctor's appointment this person does not qualify but does need help with weight loss, we're putting them in this other bucket, right? This person does not qualify, has a normal BMI. We don't know how they ended up here. Let's <laughs> round back with them and see what's going on, right? And so that is a way that like data can drive operational efficiency um, as well as data accuracy in the sense that like a lot of the questionnaires we ask patients to fill out, they don't really have the answers to them, right? Mm -hmm. So if we could just look in their clinical data and pull out those answers. It's also a better patient experience. I love it. Carolyn, yeah, I, I really appreciate all of these insights because they're just, I mean, they're mind blowing for me to understand like how fragmented and how disparate each of these, you know, different facets are, right? Like, you know, we have data, but data is not properly cataloged and it's not properly accessible and different companies have different, uh, you know, user interfaces and different systems and, and mm -hmm. the integrations that take place. So bringing you on the show today is just, just an amazing, uh, just an amazing opportunity. And I wanted to appreciate you for that. I'd like to pivot away from your role uh, with Particle Health for just a moment and talk a little bit more about you. I mean, you've obviously had, you know, a very, uh, a very fascinating ride, a professional journey so far. So we all know today that you are currently the Director of Clinical Strategy at Particle Health. Prior to this, you served as an internal medicine physician and a, you were involved heavily with clinical product at Forward. Uh, you were prior to that, a chief resident at Rutgers R.W. Johnson in medical school. Um, I mean, you've seen and experimented with quite a few different things and, you know, your, your, your exposure to these things have brought you to where you are today. Um, you know, I've, I'm always fascinated to learn about what goes into a, a decision-making uh, process for someone such as yourself that is posed with an opportunity to do bigger and better things. Uh, so, you know, I'd love to understand a little bit about, you know, the, the situation that arose when you found this opportunity, or maybe this opportunity was brought to you, like what went through your mind when they were like, huh, a director of clinical strategy, uh, you know, let's, let's talk about this. Like how, yeah. how was this pre uh, opportunity presented to you? What did you think about that was both a positive in terms of your professional journey and, and maybe any concerns that you may have had that you had to reconcile before you said yes? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. I think, especially for a lot of physicians, um, choosing to step out of a clinical practice role is a really big choice. Um, and when I was a chief resident, I, I would say that I've always been pretty like process focused mm -hmm. and trying to look at the bigger picture. And I think kind of every physician at some point sees this and most see it in training right off the bat where you're like, is this really the best way that we're, we can do this? Like, this is like the best it's facts. Like, and I think especially now when we have, we have a generation of folks who have seen how technology has so quickly transformed multiple other industries at this point where like, I, I drive a Tesla, it can drive me to work. But when I get to work, I'm using a beeper like yeah. that just doesn't make sense. Right. Like, <laughs> how do you reconcile those worlds in your head? Mm. And so um, I think a lot of the time when I was in training, especially as a chief resident, was um, when COVID hit and that, you know, upended everything in the hospital and uh, our our um, 
residents actually ended up taking care initially of all the COVID patients that were in the hospital. And it required a lot of process changes. It was incredibly chaotic. We're at a point where we're getting a lot of overflow from New York and we had like no masks, no PPE. Um, People were legitimately given one N95 mask that they like took off their face at the end of the day, put into a brown paper baggie and brought it home to be used the next day. Uh, which sounds wild now, but like that was the early days of COVID, right? And so I think seeing a lot of those processes, I'm like, there's just no way that this is like the way that, like there's just no way that we can continue like this in the healthcare industry, right? Like we need some help in all aspects, right? Operations, logistics. And the more I kind of like dived into that world, I was like, oh yeah, I'm like, what about like patient outcomes and how are we tracking that? And we also experience a lot of that when you kind of get exposed to EHRs for the first time. And you realize that like a lot of what clinicians are doing is documenting things in a way that's really for billing coding and reimbursement, right? That's, that's really the kind of data that EHRs are meant to capture. Mm. And so a lot of like the really interesting stuff is what a clinician decides that really needs to be recorded and happens in free text, which is a whole nother issue um, for another discussion, I guess, about data quality and like all that in EHRs. But I think that when you realize that you're like, okay, well, this system wasn't really created to focus on the things we now really want to focus on, right? Especially with all these industry trends. And so how can there must be a way, there must be companies out there that are solving these really big problems. Mm. But I was right out of training and I was like, I just went through all this training. I am going to practice medicine. Um, Let me like actually go out into the world for a little bit, see what it's like and see if some of these like big hypotheses and assumptions that I have are true or not. I ended up working at Ford because Ford has this, is a healthcare tech startup. It has this really innovative approach for primary care preventive medicine. So I practice medicine there as an outpatient primary care physician. It also afforded me the opportunity to work on a lot of different clinical products. And so Forward is um, vertically integrated. They have software engineers, hardware engineers. um, And because they're a startup, you get to wear a lot of different hats. And it's Mm -hmm. kind of one of those things where if you raise your hand and you say, I'm interested in working on, you know, a PM with this project, you can go ahead and have that opportunity. And so I was able to kind of try a little bit of everything, working with some hardware, some software, some digital health programs. I was able to work with marketing and recruiting and kind of like dip my toes into the waters and was able to really confirm like, yeah, I really love working on digital products. I love working on clinical products. Um, And over time, I feel like I was able to kind of refine, like, what is it exactly that I love about doing these things? And it was really the problem solving aspect, the thinking creatively aspect. And that's really when I said, okay, I think I want to step into a fully product facing role. Um, And I ended up applying and I was like, let me just go out there and like kind of just casually see like what exists out in this world. Because the truth is a lot of clinicians don't really know, right? Like how else they could leverage their degree in different and creative ways. And when I saw Particle's job posting, it was an interesting um, realm, right? It was really a, a very data heavy realm. Um, very engineering focused. And I did, I will say, feel quite out of my comfort zone, but I felt that there was enough there that I could provide value for. Um, And what I really saw was a company that had really great 
technical expertise, had a really great core product and capability of getting all this data, who needed just a little guidance on how this data gets used in today's healthcare system so that they would have a base foundation to be able to innovate on how it could be used. And I was like, I can do that. Like, I feel confident I can solve that gap. And so I ended up applying and I got the job and I've been here ever since. And I love it. It's awesome. Um, you know, we're also a very small startup. So I do still get the opportunity to work with absolutely <laughs> everyone, right? From marketing to uh, sales, to customer success, to obviously product, which is the organization that I live under. Nice. Um, and so that has given me a lot of really interesting projects, really interesting thoughts, great people to work with. Um, so it's been a really good fit. I love it. And, you know, I mean, I appreciate you sharing your your step-by-step -step journey, right? Because I think a lot of clinicians and, and even business leaders, like, you know, students and new practitioners that come out are like, well, you know, this is what I'm comfortable with. This is what I know. So, mm -hmm. you know, I, I can look elsewhere, but, you know, I don't want to get get overwhelmed. Uh, and, I, and I love the way that you've been able to have experiences that allowed you to bring your value into their departments uh, and into their processes and at the same time share with you, right? Like you need a supportive environment in order to be able to say, look, well, right. we need her for this, but we can give her this in the in the same token uh, as well. Right. So I love that. And glad that you are happy at Particle Health, hopefully many, many more years ahead <clears throat> with many, many milestones that you and uh, the organization will do. Carolyn, I also know that, you know, um, you know, each of us uh, have other people that have helped lead us and shape us into the professionals and successes that we are today. Um, and I always ask my guests to talk about at least one person, maybe a mentor or somebody that they looked up to along their professional journey uh, that they would want to acknowledge for some of the, the examples that were rubbed off or some of the efforts that were put by them towards your uh, advancement and share a little bit about who that person is and and this reasons why you, you selected them as somebody that receives a, an honorable mention, so to speak, on this show. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think there's definitely a lot of people who have shaped my clinical role for sure. Um, so I do want to shout out Dr. Renita Sharma, who is our program director um, in my residency, who gave me the opportunity to be really flexible in my chief year to understand like, what am I interested in? Uh, I got a lot of latitude to set up programs that I thought were helpful. And so one of the things was we, we were able to kick off like the leadership and management training track, um, which has really evolved as Kind of a way to expose residents to this side of the industry yeah. um, to see early on if this is a good fit for them, right? And to help to curate those um, opportunities for them. So that's like something that I think was one of the first times when I was like, hmm, could I be doing something outside of practicing clinical medicine? Maybe. Um, and I think that that's really important. I mean, I think, you know, obviously my biggest supporter is really my husband. And that's like a really cheesy, corny way to say that. But my husband is um, in sales mm -hmm. and he's always sold like SaaS products, like software um, as a service. And in his role, he has always kind of pushed me to think like, he's like, I think you could do something more for the healthcare system. Like, yes, you practice medicine, but I think he was really the person who pushed me to say like, do you love what you do? And I think, you know, I think something that's really important for people to consider is the trap to staying in something that you is maybe not a perfect fit for you is that you probably like it, right? Like, yeah. it's probably not something you hate. If it's something you hate, you probably stop doing it, especially yeah. if that's medicine. But like a lot of people, they like it. And I liked practicing medicine um, and I was good at it, but 
I also believe that like, if you want to be great at something, you have to love it. And I think that was something that my husband really pushed me on was like, you like this, but don't like, let that be the enemy of becoming something great at something you love. Like, is this something you want to spend 40 years of your life doing? Um, And if it is, is that because it's like a clock in clock out mentality and allows you to go do other things? And you know what? I think that that's fine. I think there are folks who that is their personal journey. Um, And I think it's really about like truly understanding yourself and what drives you. That is the most important. Um, And I also think that like a lot of times for clinicians, we're on this really singular path Mm -hmm. since high school where we're like, okay, I'm taking all the AP classes I need to take. I get to college. I'm pre-med. Like after college, I'm going to medical school. After medical school, I'm going to training, uh, residency. After residency, I'm going to fellowship. Like it's like this one railroad track and you like can't even get off of it if you want to. And sometimes, and there are a lot of people who I feel like they're like, I am so in debt with student debt at this point. Like I cannot get off this railroad. Um, And I feel like it was, I really want to credit my husband to being the person who's like, you don't need to be stuck on this railroad. Like you need to stop and think about like where this is headed. And if this is like truly what you want to do for the next 40 years of your life. And if it's not like, I will support you in whatever it is you want to do, because I do want to call out for any clinicians who are thinking about making role changes that like, you do take a bit of a pay cut initially. Right. Um, And I think that is one of like the things we have to think about is medicine tends to be a really stable job. Mm-hmm. It tends to be really secure. Doctors hardly ever get fired. We already don't have enough of right, them. So right. It's always really easy to find another job, even if you're like moving co- like across country. Across country, yeah. Like that, right? Like I still get like locums people and stuff that like literally spam my phone every single day telling me like I could make like 500K if I moved to like the middle of nowhere. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so it's, you know, it's a different world for sure on this side. And I think that that was really important. But one last person I want to call out of who I'm not going to call out by name, but at that time when I was thinking about moving to a fully non-clinical role, I um, cold messaged on LinkedIn, the chief medical officer of a very large company. Okay. And um, I said, I want to get your advice. And he was very gracious to get on a 30 minute call with me. And he said, um, for what you want to achieve, you need to move companies. Mm. He was like, you just need to take the plunge. Um, He was like, you need to develop a business acumen. You need to commit to what it is that you want to upskill on. And that's probably not going to happen in a clinical facing role. And he was like, so that means that you need to move and that was it. He was like, that was it. And he was like, to be plain, like, even though you have these aspirations, like I would not hire you at my company today because you don't have the skills that you need yeah. to perform at this level. I, and that I think was really wild for me. <laughs> it, it, it's a big mind blowing example. Right. And I'm glad yeah. that you called that out because I feel that so many people either become comfortable in where they are and then they become like, I don't want to say optimistic, but very idealistic, right? Like I will yeah. find the other skill sets here um, or or those opportunities will be created mm-hmm. and I will be invited to them. And in reality, you know, even though that may be once or twice, like one-offs, like the fact of the matter is like, 
it's the culture within the organization that is something that you cannot duplicate or like you know alter uh, unless you go to another company to get those those, those experiences and see mm-hmm. things from a different perspective. Right. Great advice from a lot of great people. Um, and you know, certainly shout out to your husband for kind of <laughs> being the, the 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 compass, so to speak, for your journey. I think that that's really awesome for you to share that. Uh, what's your husband's first name, by the way? John. John. So John Ward. Awesome job, man. Good job. <laughs> Very, very good. Carolyn, what's next? Like when you think about like your professional journey, right? I know you've like started with Particle Health just a couple of months ago, but mm-hmm. you've obviously brought in a lot of like, intelligence and, and, and helped shape product in different ways. Uh, you know, is there like a big uh, milestone uh, marker for you right now when you think about, well, in the next 12 months or 18 months uh, within Particle Health, I really want to come back on your show and say, hey, remember I said I wanted to do this? Well, I've done it. And let me share with you the details. Like what's the big thing for you now? Yeah, a lot of what we're working on right now and a lot of um, what I'm working on right now um, is kind of two parts. I think the first part is really learning. It's like that go-to-market motion and finding product market fit, product positioning. It's really stuff that like don't know much about, to be honest. And it's really interesting because I think it's teaching me how to learn in this kind of an environment, right? Because as a doctor, we're like always trying to learn. And so the first place we go is books. Um, and there is, to be honest, so much out there now where you can get a really good base foundation on almost anything yeah. through like online platforms for education, YouTube videos, yeah. books, right? And so it's been a really interesting world where what I'm really trying to work on now is kind of like upskilling myself on that more of like product marketing, uh, product positioning and go to market like details. I was involved with some of that stuff in my previous role already, but like kind of getting really crisp on like, where do I add the most value? Where could I add value in the future? How much of it um, is interesting to me? I think that that's always really part of any decision that I make and things that I'm learning is like, is this interesting to me? Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes it's stuff that you know, everyone has a job where part of your job is doing things that you just have to do to execute. Um, And for me, it's like really trying to make the bulk of my job all interesting things if possible. (laughs) The other really interesting part of what I'm working on right now is essentially helping develop a lot of the clinical code sets that are going to go into our future focus products. That is much more technical. I also find it to be very interesting. Um, And the way I kind of see these two things leading to like professional growth and development over the next year or so is essentially one, I'm hopeful to come back on this podcast to be able to tell you that we launched our market offerings. They were super successful and we made a ton of money. Um, (laughs) But I also am hoping that I will be able to say I learned a lot in the process Mm -hmm. um, and was able to like refine that within the company and help them to iterate on that. Um, And then the other side is like really getting, I'm hoping to get a lot more technical with um, data science in how we're able to manipulate the data elements. Obviously, I bring the clinical expertise of understanding what is important and when. um, And I think it's that ability to translate that into something that can be productized um, that is going to be really interesting to dive into in the next year or so. Wow. You know, I love the fact that you've got like these realistic step-by-step milestones for the, you know, 12 to 18 month journey. Cause I, I find that sometimes when I ask this question of clients and other people, like they have like this big pie in the sky, like, Oh, (laughs) here's where I'm going to, you know, plant the flag in this mountain in 12 or 18 months. And it's like this monumental, like Mount Everest. And I'm like, 
okay, but what are you going to do in the next two weeks? Like, you know, being <laughs> realistic in that sense of being able to fine tune your knowledge, skill sets and your craft uh, and being able to say like, this is where I really want to be. But man, your optimism and, and your realism is like really, really positive. I, I love it. I think it's fantastic. Awesome. Uh, Carolyn, you mentioned personal growth and you mentioned professional development, right? And, and you know, you're working with several, you know, high level leaders, uh, you yourself are one, and you're starting to, you know, get, you know, the, the understanding of like how to help influence teams and what real leadership looks like. So like when you think about like the kind of leader that you are today um, and or the kind of leader that you hope to become in the next couple of months or the next couple of years. I'm curious to know, like, what is the most important trait in the leader that you think that listeners today should try to be, you know, using as like a compass or using as like a, a marker to say, hey, like, you know, you can be a lot of things. You can have vision, you can have mission, you can do all these things, right? But a real leader is this. And what is that from yeah. your perspective? Um, in my observation, and in my opinion, I think that humility is actually the best trait, um, which is maybe a, a strange thing to say, because we are so used to seeing these huge leaders who are like the Elon Musks, right? Mm -hmm. The Steve Jobs, like these people that everyone wants to like idolize and emulate. And I think that like the interesting thing is when a leader comes in and you're meeting your team for the full time, your first time, you're joining a new company. Um I think humility is really good for one, meeting people where they are, understanding what are the lessons that your, that company has learned prior to you coming on so that, I mean, it's it's beneficial for you because you can get up to speed really quickly. Yeah. It's beneficial for your team because you're getting on the same level as them and saying like, hey, you guys have been here. You guys know what's going on. You're at the front lines. Like, tell me what's happening, right? Like, let me hear your opinion. It doesn't mean that that leader has to then act on every single thing that an employee brings to them, right? But it's that act of saying like, I don't know the best. I don't know everything, right? And it allows you to kind of pool the knowledge across your entire employee base. It gives people the sense that they can come to you, like that psychological safety of like, hey, this leader is here to like, work with us and get in the weeds with us, get in the mud with us. And so I feel safe to bring them issues that I truly believe are blockers for X, Y, and Z that they're trying to achieve. I also think that humility allows you to come into every situation with an open mind. And instead of saying like, hey, I have this expertise, I know best, let me come in and tell you how it should be because, you know, I did this before or my my previous job gave me this skill or, you know, whatever it is, right. I think it allows you to come in with some curiosity and to say like, Hey, what exactly did you mean by that? Right. Or what exactly is the question that we're asking here? Why are we asking that question? Like, help me to understand like where you're coming from here, because I think it's actually in those conversations that you learn a lot of really interesting things. And it can take you down those tangents that are actually like where the magic happens, so to speak. And so um, I think that that allows you to, it's kind of like the glue that eventually will hold your team together through the hard times. And one of the things I'm always saying is it's really easy to lead in the good times. Like yeah. anybody can look like a good leader when things Very are going true. great, you're profitable, yep. like you have product market fit. It's how you lead in the really uncertain times when people are like, maybe thinking about jumping ship or people are just feeling like really uncertain with their own job, 
uh, where they fit into the organization, where the organization is going, the ability to pull people together in that moment is really, really like what leadership is, in my opinion. And I think humility is the key to doing that. Carolyn, I, I have to ask because, you know, I know that I was, you know, many, many years ago, right? Like I would think about like the, what you've just said. Uh, and, you know, there's always this, this, this hesitancy to show that type of vulnerability, right? Like everybody, especially the listeners of the show who are like leaders and, and professionals, right? Like they have this, well, I, I have all this knowledge or, you know, I, I've been trained on this, right? So I have to be the expert. Uh, but to ask a question or to ask series of questions is like, sort of like this, you know, trepidation that just starts to build up, like, what are, you know, was there like some, some pivotal moment? Was there like a resource that you've turned to, to be able to build up the confidence to show that type of vulnerability? I mean, I, I don't know if like, there's like books or videos or speakers or anything of that nature. But like, if a listener today is like, you know, I, I hear what you're saying, Carolyn, I get it. <laughs> like, I need to be, you know, opening and, and asking more questions so that I can learn more. But man, I just, I don't know if I can do it. Like, what was the, the thing that helped you overcome that if, if you had it at all? Yeah. So I'm going to share with you a book, which is um, going to seem really out of context, but <laughs> I'm going to tell you how I used it. Okay. Okay. It's, it's I'm ready. Called, yeah. It's a book called Prepared by Diane uh, Tavner, who is the CEO of um, a public school system. And this book is about how to get students prepared for the real world. So I read this book because education is like this other passion of mine. I've got two little boys and um, I did a lot of like college mentorship and still do. And so that's kind of the context in which I read this book. But in this book, she has this um, pyramid. It's called the practice of 16 habits of success. Okay. And that pyramid has um, five layers. The first layer is foundational and what she calls healthy development. So that's attachment, stress management, self-regulation. You have to be able to do these three things to be successful anywhere. Okay. The next level up is what she calls academic and life readiness. It includes self-awareness, empathy or relationship skills, and executive functions. (laughs) The one above that is mindsets, which is growth mindset, self-efficiency, um, sense of belonging and relevance above that is perseverance. So it's things like resilience, agency, tenacity, and above that is independent. Meaning you have a fully independent learner at this point, self-direction, curiosity, and purpose. The reason I love this pyramid is because yes, you can apply it to your children and to students, but this is actually what every human being needs. And I think when you think about your peers, your colleagues, your direct reports, and people who are looking up to you, if you are able to foster, like figure out where they are on this pyramid and bring them to the highest level by fostering each of these different blocks, Mm -hmm. that is actually the way that you like create a really successful team. And when you think about it, that top row, self-direction, curiosity, and purpose are basically the three things that anybody needs from their job to stay there long-term, right? You need direction. You want to have the autonomy to be able to do what you feel like is right for your role. Mm -hmm. You also want the direction to understand where your career is going to grow in that organization. Curiosity, ultimately what we know is one of the traits of the most successful people in startups. And the third thing is a sense of purpose. Mm -hmm. When you can give your employees those three things, they will stick around. Um, And everything else belongs 
below that, right? Sense of belonging, growth mindset, self-awareness, empathy, stress management. Yeah. Like those are all things like if we can foster that in ourselves and help to bring other people along in that, it's so helpful. It's been really helpful for me to also understand like where people are, where some of these blocks might be missing and how you can kind of help them to grow into these different um, sectors or like give them tools for their toolkits to deal with each of these different blocks. Right. And so I know it's kind of like a weird resource because it's like in the education world, but it's something that I think has been really helpful for me in like frameworking. I I am just replaying some of the the, the foundational layers and I'm like, wow, I I mean, I'm gonna be very vulnerable. Like there's some areas where I'm like, yeah, I, I still need to go back and refortify that, right? Because I think it's like, you know, as you said, you know, every human being needs this, right? And at some point there's just been either a lack of attention to that foundational basis mm-hmm. or one of the layers where you just need to go back and says, okay, how do I fortify this so that I can continue to do the other things that I want to do in that space as well? So that's, man, that's, that. this is a really good recommendation, Carolyn. I'm going to tell you. Awesome. Like, I'm so cool. glad. I love when guests come to the show with things that are, I don't want to say eclectic, but like, you know, not mainstream. I just right. like, because you know, I, Again, no, no insult or, or anything bad against any previous guests that have talked about Brene Brown and Simon Sinek. <laughs> I get it; they're all they're all amazing, right? But yeah. when you have a pearl that you find off the beaten path like this, like then then it just gets your mind going. So thank you for that. Uh, I'm hoping my listeners are definitely going to to take advantage of that and 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 buy a copy and and start adopting some of the the principles for that purpose. Uh, Carolyn, you know, I always ask my guests this as well, like, you know, in, in conversations that you have with people, whether they are at conferences or in individual meetings um, or at events, like there's sometimes something that just jumps out at you in the conversation or you're like, this person is has got some value. Like there are really reasons that we need to talk to her or talk to him about maybe even joining Particle Help because, you know, I, I just think that they can add so much value to our company, right? Mm-hmm. This is aside from a resume. This is aside from like, you know, any re- personal recommendation. Yeah. This is the feelings that you get uh, where you are looking for certain qualities or characteristics. Um, and, you know, part of the show is to help for my listeners to be able to understand what career advancement looks like uh, and to help them prepare them for like next jobs. So what are some things as a leader yourself that you look for in people when you think, you know, this is something that I would like to explore more as an opportunity to present to her or him and, and bring them on board? Like she has this or he has these three yeah. things. What are they? Yeah, that's also a great question. I would say the first thing I really look for is can you learn? This is kind of a hard one to get to in a short conversation, but mm-hmm. ultimately we know there's a lot of transferable skills. A lot of times when people get hired into an organization, what the people are really looking for is, do you have a history of having done these things already? But I think what's really more interesting is like, can you learn? Like, can you learn into this role? Do you have the ability to learn? Because then you could take this role in any one of many directions, right? And you can also take, um, your experience in maybe a completely different industry and apply it in a really interesting creative way. Um, and so a really good way to get to this is like, can you teach me about something like not, in, not related to our industry? Like, so maybe that's about coffee, right? Like maybe you're really into coffee and you're going to teach me about like your burr grinder and why that like hexonical shape is really important for like surface area for water, water to like drip through onto the ground coffee beans and provide this, you know, whatever, right? Like, and I also think that when you give people the ability to like talk about something that they learned that they're passionate about, 
I want to see that enthusiasm come mm. through, right? Because then I can kind of see like, okay, this was their aha moment for something that they love. Now, can I see them have that same moment about something related to our work, wow. right? Okay. Um, the second thing is, are you curious? Like, do you ask questions? So sometimes in conversations casually, or obviously also in interview conversations, um, I will present an idea or a concept very casually and see if that person kind of is like, oh, okay, yeah, that's cool. Or if they're like, that's interesting. Like we've always had those conversations with people where they're like, that's interesting. Huh, what about blah, blah, blah. Or like, you know what? I just had this conversation with somebody else about a completely unrelated topic, but let me like connect that here. Cause I just like had these two neurons that synapsed and like they're it, like, and it's those moments that I call like the magic yeah. where like suddenly somebody thought of something and they're like, wait a minute. I think I can connect these two items. Right. And I think to try to like drive those connections and have a lot of those magic moments, mm -hmm. you need to be curious because you need to have a really wide breadth of like understanding about many weird things. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, and then the third thing um, is how do you communicate? Mm -hmm. And part of that is like your EQ, right? So yeah. are you the kind of person who's able to read between the lines? Like, how do you comport yourself, not just verbally when you're communicating, but your body language? Are you like, you can tell from somebody's body language, if they are excited to talk to you, right? Mm -hmm. If they have like, and it doesn't mean that you have to be extroverted. Um but when people are interested and they're passionate about things, it comes through in their body. And I think like one is me seeing that and knowing if they're truly interested. But another one is, do they have that ability to see that in other people? Right. And mm -hmm. I think that the people who do tend to comport themselves differently. And a lot of conversations that we have in today's world, it's really about the unspoken yeah. communication that is the most important. So you want somebody who has that ability. Wow. These are, again, unique and very, very helpful, right? Because I, I always <laughs> want my my listeners to think like, okay, I, I have, you know, these, these skill sets, this experience, like here's my certifications, right? And in reality, right. it's like, you know, what happens in the moment in the conversation that takes place determines if there is a next step or not. Right. Um, and, you know, having and some people will just have naturally born with that ability to say, oh, we're talking about this. It reminds me of something that just took place a week ago or two weeks ago. And, you know, let, let's see how we can combine these two to make it something bigger. I love that the connection of ideas uh, and, mm -hmm. uh, and the, 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 the transparency of thought, I think, is beautiful. Carolyn, we've talked about so many different issues. I've really enjoyed this episode so much. I always like to give guests the opportunity to talk about anything that maybe we've missed. Is there anything that you would want our listeners to be aware of, whether it's in terms of career advancement or leadership or you know the great things that Particle Health is doing that you would want the listeners to say, hey, from this episode, I, I took away, you know, I heard a lot, but I took away this one thing. What would that be? Yeah, I would definitely say that... Um... Think about what, for people who are thinking about a career change, think about what drives you. Think about, it's it's a really big, first, a deep dive into who you are as a person. Um, and hopefully the idea is that you come out on the other side with a better understanding of who you are and what's going to make you happy in the long run. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, think about what are the actions that you like taking, not necessarily the things. So do you like problem solving? Do you like working with teams? Do you like communicating? Like, what are the 
the things that you like mm. and that you are good at and what can you lean into more? What might you be interested in? That's always the advice I give people when they are thinking about changing industries or roles or jobs. Ultimately, at the end of the day, you want to take the steps forward that are going to leave you with a happy life and a satisfied career track. Um, and so that's the best advice I can give there. Um, but I also think that we are going into a really exciting new phase of the healthcare industry, um, where I would love to see tech be able to come in and really revolutionize us in a way that we have been promised, but have not really quite seen yet. I do believe that we are on the cusp. So if there are any clinicians who want to join us in that, um, in that role, um, definitely don't hesitate to reach out to me for advice or anything. Outstanding. And we'll be sure to include your, your handles as well as Particle Health's you know, website and how they, you know, people, if they want to learn more, they can absolutely reach out to you. Awesome. Carolyn, thank you so much for being on the show. Again, it was a phenomenal opportunity to speak with you. And here's a lot of the great things that you and Particle Health are doing. As always, I wish you much success in the future. And I'm looking forward to seeing and continuing to see you take healthcare to a higher level. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks for joining me on this episode of the Healthcare and Hire podcast. If you liked what you heard, be sure to follow and subscribe for more. I'm your host, Iqbal Acha, and I invite you to connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. Let me know what you thought about this episode or my show in general. Also, visit me at www.achainternational.com to learn more about how I help healthcare professionals and healthcare leaders advance their career build a better brand, and create a leadership legacy. I'll be back next week with another episode. But until then, let's keep working to take healthcare to a higher level.